once again to Live Scent. I'm Luke, and I'm joined by Ashley. And we're so glad you're here. This is the second episode and a conversation about incarnation, which is just thematically appropriate for the month of December, where we celebrate Christmas. So if you haven't listened to last the last episode, I'd encourage you to go ahead and go back and do that before you listen to this one, because we kind of lay a little bit of groundwork for what incarnation is. Uh, and now we're going to talk about how we practice incarnational mission. So Ashley, I know you have some thoughts about this, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you could help us to just think about putting feet to incarnational ministry. Okay. Well, I think there's um, a couple of things that we have to look at. You know, you need to look at the life of Jesus. And so the four questions that we always need to wrestle with is to whom he goes, how he prepares, how he goes, and how he responds. I think we can break those down pretty, um, very much in depth. So if you wanted to say, to whom he goes. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Nice use of the word whom. You're welcome. I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> so who does Jesus go to? To whom is he ministering? Mm-hmm. You know, he. if you're looking at the Gospels and reading those, which we hope you are, <laughs> always read Jesus. Um, he goes to the outcasts. He goes to those that society, I mean, this is the outcast, but the society has shunned and shamed. Um, He also goes to the temple courts and he talks to the religious authorities. He's not so nice to them. So. um, Nope. (laughs) uh, Because they know better. They should know better. And I think that's his point there. Um. Who else does he go to? The dead. His friend Lazarus died. He went to him and um, raised him from the dead. Um, he went to women. He went to people that were not like him, who were not in the same social context or um, ethnicity or religious um, context as well. I mean, he, he was a Jew. And he went to those that were non-Jews. I think we can learn a lot from that. Um, To me, that means that we need to be looking at in our society at everyone and looking at those that are mainly, um, for me, it's always looking cross-culturally. So who is very different than me, Um, maybe a different ethnicity, um, somebody of a different faith background. Um, And so really just leaning in and having a conversation with them, getting to know them, um, learning what they love and worry and what, what brings anxiety into their life because we have the hope and the hope of Christ along with um, the peace um, that a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. I mean, I think your favorite gospel is the gospel of Luke. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and I think if you're not familiar with the Gospel of Luke, one of the things it does is it continually just subverts the expectation for the reader. Um, so Jesus does go to the unexpected person. I think about Paul, too, had this kind of model where the first place he went when he went to a new city was to the Jewish synagogue. 
And the first people he tried to share the gospel with in a city were always Jews. And sometimes that went well, and sometimes it just was a disaster. But then after that, he would go to the public places, to the markets. Uh, if you think about when he's in Athens, he goes to the Areopagitica, which is a place where the Athenians who loved discussing ideas talked about ideas. So they went everywhere. They went to everyone. I mean, even in the Gospels, there are people who are wealthy that Jesus goes to. There are religious leaders right. who accept what he talks about. We can think about Nicodemus. Um the gospel goes everywhere into everyone, not just to the people we expect it to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the continual thread is through the gospels and through Acts. And that's a very Luke Acts motif is the gospel turns the world upside down and the people who should accept it don't always do it. And the people who you would never think would accept it do. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch goes for it. The people in the synagogues don't. Um, I'm thinking about Acts now, mm-hmm. but that's the continual thread, um, that this just turns the world upside down. That's well put. Um, so one of the things that also we need to be asking for is how he prepares. And one of the things that I like to think through is, you know, we see Jesus's ministry start when he was 30. So what happened in the 30 years before that, you know, each year before that and, how, to me, you can see the reflection of that in how he lived out his ministry consistently in prayer. He had consistently studied. He knew when he was tempted um, in the desert, he knew scripture. Uh, Satan quoted scripture to him, and he knew exactly what it meant in that reference and was able to bring it back to Satan and say, no, you know, However, he responded in that in the, each situation. Um, and so I think that we can learn a lot from that in those hidden days. Um, that's not necessarily written out in the Bible. Um, what does it look like for our own hidden days? And I love the book, um, Anonymous, Jesus's Hidden Years and Yours. I think it's a really good book to think mm. through um, how... What are you doing with your time when you're not in the spotlight, when no one else sees, because it matters? Yeah. So. I think, too, about those two missional habits, listen and learn, mm. and those are preparation habits. Yes. So learning to pray in a way that you're not just telling God what you need or want, but you're learning to develop an attitude of listening and obedience, but also that you're learning Jesus, that you're learning the Gospels, that you are saturating yourself with the life and work and teachings of Christ. Um, Those are habits of preparation so that you can live a life of being with your neighbors. Yes. And I I also ask that question of how does he go? You know, his best friend, or we we claim Lazarus, he's a really good friend of Jesus, and he, he died and he did not go to them for a few days. He was not in a hurry. Um, I think that's a lesson that we can learn in there. Um, when Jesus goes, he's not hurried. No. He's, he's on this journey, and he sees people along the journey. He's never thinking through, i got to get from point A to point B. I mean, the journey to Jerusalem is like half of the book of Luke. Right. 
And so how, how should we go when we're, when we're um, living life? What does it look like to continue to be on a journey if we're dropping off our kids at school or we're going to a school event? Um, I know I'm, I'm thinking about how rushed I am all the time, um, and so this is hitting home for me. But how can I take a moment and look at the other people around me and the journey that we're all on together? Yeah. And have a conversation. I think that's a hard thing to do because we live in a big city, mm-hmm. in a metroplex of big cities. And it's true. DFW just has a culture of hurry and busyness and productivity. Um, so learning to slow down and make space is, a, I think, a challenge, but a challenge we need to live up to. So, and then how does he respond? Lots of ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a, it is. Um, his response, it, it just depends on the scenario. Um, what comes to mind to you, Luke, in that? I think there's so many compassionate responses. Um, I mean, I think you could think of the woman who touches his robe, and it's the question Mm. of who touched me, um, Mm. and then the compassion that follows. Think about the healing of the paralytic man and just all the times that people get healed, and it's, I think, this response of seeing people. Mm. Um, It's a good way to put it. And I think recognizing them for who they are, where they're at. I mean, sometimes it doesn't seem as compassionate. I mean, you can think about the rich young man who asks how to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you got to sell everything that you have. Um, and the man walks away dejected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jesus saw that guy for who he was. Um, I don't know that he had any less compassion on him, but. Right. There are demands to following Jesus, but there's also compassion. Mm-hmm. I think you've sum- summed it up well. Yeah. You you get healed. You get forgiven. Mm-hmm. But then I also think about the typical follow-up part of that is go and sin no more. Yeah, you've had a touch of God. So what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are... We see different responses to Jesus, and I think it depends on the person's need. Different responses from Jesus. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. We definitely see different responses to Jesus as well. (laughs) We do. But his responses typically see the person's need, see who they are, and respond typically with grace, Mm -hmm. but also with a call forward into a new way of life. I think also one of the responses that he does um, add in there is justice. You've got out of mercy and justice through that compassionate response that he has. You can see um, what he's fighting for in terms of um, maybe that's the wrong way to put that. It's not fighting, but just what he's standing for in terms of what the kingdom of God is. in the social context that they, that he finds himself in. So when we think about how we live this out as people here and now, 
in Arlington, Texas, or wherever you may find yourself. It is this, I think, question of who's around you? Jesus didn't walk all the way to Rome to talk to Caesar from Nazareth. Um, he pretty much stuck to a small geographical area. Um, and he ministered to the people around him. And so who's around you? Who do you go to? Who do you interact with? How are you preparing for that? How are you living a life so that you're ready to have a conversation with someone whenever the moment comes? Uh, and not just to live in a passive way to wait for those conversations to happen to you, but to live such a life that is putting you in situations to have conversations where you are actively moving towards conversations with people. Um, again, I think of Jesus not being in a hurry. I always like to remind people that I don't think God is in a hurry. So our evangelism isn't hurried, but it's urgent. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between urgency and hurry. So haste makes waste. I think we're all familiar with that statement, maybe. Um, Talk a little bit more about that before we end. Yeah, I don't think God's worried. No. And most of the time when we're hurried, it's because we are worried uh, that we're late, mm. that we're not on time. Um, there's a theologian. He's a Japanese theologian. His name is Kosuke Koyama. Uh, and he has this really great saying, and it's that the speed of love is three miles an hour because that's the speed at which human people walk. And so God is a three-mile-an-hour God because he is walking with us. And so God is walking with intention and with purpose, but slowly. I mean, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> that is not a short time period. God walks to a place with purpose in mind, but does it at a three mile an hour pace because that's the pace that we move at. We're not fast. Um, there's another person who says that hurry and love are like oil and water. They don't mix. So in your sharing the good news with people, don't be in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. God knows where he's going. God's not worried. God loves us. So I don't think God is hurrying around. And so to, kind of illustrate the difference here. When I hurry, I I have th three women to get out of the house every day. <laughs> yes, you do. I do. And beautiful women. Beautiful, wonderful women. Um, and we are frequently late, and it drives me insane. Uh, I hate nothing more in life than being late. If I'm five minutes early, I'm late. That's how I feel about everything. Um, so if you invite me to dinner, there's a good chance if I have my way, our car will be on your street five minutes before the event starts. And we're going to ring your doorbell precisely at the time the event starts. <laughs> it's that German heritage. Um, I'm going to be on time and on time is early. But when we're late, oh my gosh, it just grinds my gears because I'm in a hurry. And you know what I'm not when I'm hurrying to my children? <laughs> I'm not loving. Hmm. I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm unkind. Yes. 
I can totally relate to that. I think any parent can. (laughs) We're always in a hurry to get to school every morning. Yes. I'm not very kind. So if you're in a hurry, there's a very, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's ever been loving when they're in a hurry. Mm. And God's not in a hurry. I mean, shoot, we're what, 2,000 2000 years out from Jesus walking the earth? Yeah. So. Come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, God's (laughs) clearly not rushing around. Um, And there are people who may object to me saying that evangelism shouldn't be hurried. It should be urgent. We should know where we're going, but we're going to move at the speed that people move at. And if life with a three-year-old and an almost six-year-old has taught me anything, it's that that is not a fast speed. Um, so move with intention, mm-hmm. but move at a steady pace because Jesus did and God is. And they're not worried. No. So yeah. I think that sums this up. I do too. Some good points on how we practice incarnation. Yeah. So as you move about the Christmas season and there are ample, ample, ample opportunities to talk about Jesus at this time of year. I mean, songs about Jesus are all over the radio, even secular stations peppered in between rocking around the Christmas tree and Feliz Navidad. Um, There are songs about Jesus. You have opportunities to have Jesus conversations with people. So take them. Take those opportunities. But you don't have to rush anyone into anything. Move Move at the pace of relationships, which is three miles an hour, because that's the speed at which we walk. So... This is Live Scent, and we want you to live scent. So thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs>